Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Now, this is a special bonus episode. As avid listeners will know, the podcast has been sponsored by Fisher-Price for the last two series. Go Fisher-Price. So today we thought we would do uh, an extra special episode, which is all around the emphasis of, of letting kids be kids through play. Nice, simple, makes sense. <laughs> um, uh, I've got to say, when I, uh, when Buzz first arrived, I literally thought that I had to stimulate him in every single way. We uh, went to four classes from 10 weeks old. It was literally a case of four classes a week because I thought that was the right thing to do. Drove myself absolutely bonkers, thinking that this is, uh, this is what he needed to be the best person that he could be. Uh, and then I don't know uh, when it switched. I think I heard something on the radio or read something about actually just taking a step back and letting them play was probably a little bit better for them at a certain point rather than me just shoving toys in their faces. Uh, So it's made me change the way I look at things over the years. And I have to have to say that first time that I did sit back and just, you know, put a few toys out that I did feel a little bit lazy, but I did enjoy that hot drink. It felt amazing. (laughs) Um, So today to talk about the subject of play, it's not just me. It's not just me prattling on about my children. Uh, I have three special guests. Three. Not one, not two, but three. <laughs> they're, very, they're very excited. Um, so we have um, blogger Charlotte uh, Charlotte Louise Taylor. Let's use your full name. Oh, why not? <laughs> why not? Play expert Amanda Gummer and gender stereotype campaigner from Let Toys Be Toys, Jess Day. Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> now, there are so many voices today. Um, we've never done it with, with uh, three guests before. Uh, so if you could just... Go around. This is the only time I'm going, to, I'm going to go around the table. But if you could just say a little bit about yourself and and, and why you're here today or what you do, or just say a little bit about you. Charlotte, let's start with you. I'm going to go first, am I? Okay, I'm Charlotte and I'm 30 this year and I've got three children now. I've actually got a six-week-old baby who's with his dad at home at the moment, <laughs> which I miss him. I really, really do. But no, I am a blogger, YouTuber. I stumbled into this and I'm just sharing my journey online, really, and loving being a mum and sometimes not loving being a mum. Um, but yeah, that's me in a nutshell. I'm Jess. Um, I've got two kids. My kids are 12 and 9. And I'm a volunteer campaigner in the spare time I have between parenting and a job um, with the Let Toys Be Toys campaign. And what is the Let Toys Be Toys campaign? So we've been running for about five years now and it was originally a group of parents who um, got together on Mumsnet and around a thread that, that somebody posted a thread saying, 
Is it just me or is the way that toys are mar- and products are marketed to children by gender got out of hand? And very quickly this turned into a discussion where people agreed that actually, yes, it had. And maybe that a group of us should get together and, and do something about it. And here we are five years later. Uh, 15 retailers have changed their signage and their marketing practices and 11 publishers have stopped publishing books with for girls or for boys on the covers. So. That's amazing. And Amanda? I'm Amanda Gummer. I run Fundamentally Children, which is a, a company um, specialising in child development, play and parenting. And we're home of the Good Toy Guide and the Good App Guide. So we review products and explain their developmental benefits. So, you know, whether that's anything from a, a doll's house to a Thomas the Tank Engine to a space rocket to a gardening set to a kitchen, whatever it is. We believe that most toys have a, a place in a balanced play diet and we encourage parents to give their kids a, a sort of a range of activities. And like you say, you don't need to be the children's entertainer 24-7. You can sit back and let them play. But it feels so strange, doesn't it, to just, just sit back? I suppose, I think especially that first time. It does, but I think if you realise what they're getting from yeah. it, and that's what we try and, and help parents understand, is that you're not being lazy. Actually, A, taking some time for you is really important, but actually kids letting kids get bored is important and letting them choose what they want to do um, and sort of try the what if. Um, but, you know, they need a range of playmates, they need a range of play opportunities and they can play with their siblings, their friends, on their own, with you. That's all good stuff. But but mix it up and, and don't feel like it has to be all, all down to the parents. I think mm. that's really important. So if we all look back to our childhoods, how important was play for you? Oh, massively important. I mean, my... The memories that we have of that kind of free-range childhood, I'm yeah. slightly older than um, a lot of the people around here, but, um, you know, in the 70s... and I and... would say I was free-range. <laughs> OK, perfect, perfect. And there are still many free-range kids today. They just... I think the parents have to make a commitment to making their kids free-range. I think it's very easy to get hyped up with the strange danger and the safety and the fears and that sort of pressure parenting. Do you think um, that is, that's the thing then, that it used to just be that was the way that kids were brought up and now it's actually you've got to make more of a conscious effort? Yeah, I think so. I think um, if you, you... You have to sort of make positive decisions about the way you want to parent... Um, and be prepared to sort of fight your corner if you believe that kids should be outside and should be playing freely. And there's a lot of sort of cotton wooling of children and, and that kind of over-safety, over-very intense relationship that parents can have with their children if they're sort of hot-housing them and on them and making sure that everything is, you know, for their benefit and, and centres around them. And it actually doesn't do the kids any favours. Mm. So I guess really they've got to experience different emotions as well. Yeah, yeah. If you if you let the children have that experience of, you know, being upset, um, being left out, being scared, being, well, you know, all of those kind of fairly challenging emotions when they're little and learn how to deal with them, they'll be much more, and when the consequences are fairly small and minor, um, they'll be much more equipped to deal with them positively when they're older and the consequences are much more severe. mm that's really interesting. Jess, were you free range? I'm one of four, so I had uh, too much, too much bit older uh, sisters and a younger sister. And so um, there wasn't a lot of hovering over us by my parents yeah. because how could you with, with four of us at home? So, yes, I guess um, we had a lot more kind of independent play, I suppose, than seems to be kind of the expectation now. And also, yes, the, the expectation that kids were out unsupervised in a way that... that just doesn't seem to happen anymore and I think a lot of that in fairness is not just down to parents it's very hard to be the parent who lets their kid walk home in year four when nobody else does or whatever mm-hmm. but also road safety you know the I, I was talking to my kids this morning actually about how I used to play badminton in the street 
with a friend outside my friend's house because nobody on that street had a car. And so you could play badminton in the street. <laughs> and they thought this was hilarious because, you know, that, that couldn't happen anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, I think a lot of it is just the traffic volume mean that people, the parents are, you know, understandably reluctant. But, of course, the consequences of that, as, as Amanda says, are... You know, the, the level of supervision in children's lives mean they just don't have to get to grips with a lot of things independently in, in the same sort of age. Mm. Charlotte? It's really funny that you should bring this topic up because I told my mum what I was doing yesterday. We got a little bit excited. <laughs> and she was saying, well, let me tell you about my childhood. And she was saying that she would leave the house. She has an identical twin sister and a younger sister. They would leave the house early in the morning, wouldn't even say to my grandma and gramps that they were going anywhere. They would find horses in a field. They would, like, get on top of them, ride them merrily throughout fields and streams and goodness knows what else, and then come home covered in leeches. And I was thinking, <laughs> if I did that as a kid you would have really told me off and I think it's really difficult because I've got really strong memories of playing out with my brother and my yeah. friends when I was younger but already I'm seeing a change between my childhood and I had my eldest at 23 so I wasn't the youngest mum ever but I can still remember very clearly what that was like and we do have a lot of similarities between us and what we're experiencing now but I want my kids to have the same sort of upbringing that I had. Maybe not what my mum had, <laughs> but it's it's hard to do it. It's, it's frightening sometimes to let them go, and I really struggle to sort of cut the apron strings. And I know my eldest is five, so it's not like I've got to see that anytime soon. But uh, it's it's scary to make those choices and know that they're the right ones. And I let my daughter run around in a nappy in the garden when it's nice, but you think, oh, should I be making sure that she's got clothes on in case she climbs a tree and scrapes a knee and oh she sounds like Maria from Sound of Music but that's the thing you just you don't know do you and things change a lot and yeah. I think that's hard as a parent to sort of match up your expectations and dreams for your kids with what the reality is. Mm. So with that in mind how has how has everyone got about encouraging their children to play? Charlotte? I try and take a step back as much as I can. And if I can be really honest, I don't know about you, but I'm not a playful mum. I'm really good at cuddles and I'm really good <laughs> at, you know, like, let's read some books or cook or something. But I really struggle with playtime. I don't feel like I can always let myself go. Mother Half is great at being like a dinosaur or anything like that. You can climb all over him. But I'm like, OK, let's be fun now. And I do find it hard, but I like to take a step back. I've got almost a four-year age gap between my oldest and my middle child. And then, obviously, my six-week-old doesn't really do much other than, like, sleep at the moment. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I like to just let them be kids. Like, just let them do what suits them. My middle child, my daughter, Daisy, she's two, she does have a thing for playing with toys that are a bit older than what she should be playing with. And I just try and monitor that. I don't want to be in there all the time, like, oh, you take that off you, it's too, it's too old for you. Um, and I just try and sort of enjoy them for what they are they like to get muddy and messy and trash my house but sometimes you've just got to let go and know that at bedtime you can clean it all up again yeah um but yeah that's just my general approach is just try and let them make the right decisions and follow their lead yeah. well, we get a lot of parents who say i don't know how to play with my children what what am i supposed to do and it becomes like a chore it's something on their to-do list and they're sort of seen as a bad parent if they don't play with their children yes. and that's so not the case because Part of the biggest thing that you can give your children is a happy, healthy role model to copy and learn from. So 
learning what makes you happy. And if you like, you know, you you I bet you're more, more playful than you think you are. But <laughs> the fact that you don't want to make a become a dinosaur or give them piggyback rides around the garden <laughs> doesn't make you a, a, a non-playful mum. You can, you know, help getting them involved in cooking in the kitchen, doing arts and crafts with them, doing you know, anything and letting them play. It's all part of the, the sort of the balanced play diet that they need to have a range of different opportunities. And you don't have to be all things to them. So I, I hear that a lot from parents that they feel bad that they don't want to play with their kids. And then they're like, right, well, we're going to have this hour and it's going to be quality fun. We're all, you know, forced family fun. And and it's just, it's so artificial. And actually the whole thing of play is it's natural and organic and it should be something that you enjoy as well as they do. So the thing I, I sort of try and explain to parents who come to me and say, but how do I play is, do what feels natural, do what you enjoy. And if it's a board game, great. If you like something that's got some structure and some rules, play a board game. If you want to do arts and crafts, if you want to do cooking, if you want to go and kick a ball around outside, whatever it is, that's fine. You don't have to be the clown or the, you know, you don't have to make a fool of yourself if that feels uncomfortable because there are plenty of children around and and other parents and, and friends and family that will, you know, fill that role. So it's about making play good for everybody because if when it's fun for everybody you do more of it so it's a kind of you want to make sure it doesn't become a chore it's another thing though isn't it as a parent it's like parent guilt mum guilt like what have i done wrong today like i didn't do that enough and i snapped because she didn't follow the rules because she's two (laughs) and it's just one of those and you try and play with your six-year-old nearly six-year-old who has you know a sense of self a bit more and then my two-year-old's like oh no we're just going to destroy all of this break everything up and then you think oh no this isn't going well and like you said it does become forced and then it's disappointing isn't it because it didn't go beautifully and serenely like you expected it to from the movie so thank you (laughs) I feel like I can listen to you and and I feel better now (laughs) but I guess that's the thing movies what we see on Instagram you know or online anywhere you know it's not necessarily the whole picture you know so seeing someone sit down nicely reading a book to their child or nicely playing with a toy it doesn't necessarily mean that that lasted more than that second it took to take that photo that photo yeah, you know yeah. it, you know and, and i think that there is another pressure there and actually realizing that maybe the game not going well is a part of learning as well yeah yeah i mean and and that's play is such a um unpredictable um experience it's great when things don't go well because kids are, are suffering there's a lot of um media about kids mental health at the moment and it's there's a pressure that children feel to be perfect because they see all these perfect images perfect lives it's facebook and and parents feel it too and actually when things are kids love slapstick humor they've you know that (laughs) that loud when things go wrong so actually learning how to deal with mistakes and and mess ups and and things that go wrong is a really important thing because it take, it allows the kids to fail or allows them to mess up and not feel bad about themselves as well. So when they knock the tower over that they've spent ages building and you just go, oh, here we go again, or when you sort of, you know, make a mess with the paint or whatever it is that you're doing and the way you deal with the mistakes is just as important for kids as, as um, you know, the successes and modelling how to behave, you how to, you know, dealing dealing with things when they go wrong and learning to apologise or learning to put it right and all that sort of stuff. Such important stuff. But there's different levels of play, isn't there? So there's there's a play that you would experience first, which is playing with your mum or your dad or another another you know older person. And then there's the play them learning to play on their own and using their imagination. And then if a sibling's involved or if they go to nursery, that's playing with someone their own age. So there's different levels of play, isn't there? And and is there a natural progression for those? Do, do they come at a certain time or? So children under the age of about two and a half tend to play 
on their in their own space. They will follow the lead of a more able child or an adult, but they won't play with an, a peer. So if you put, um, so say Daisy's too. Yeah, right? Daisy. So when she's playing with, when you've got Playdate round, the chances are she will play with the whatever you've got out with another child in the same space but they won't be interacting particularly well but give it another year or so and they'll start to to work together and and do things cooperatively so things like construction play and everything you can you can work together whereas if you're doing construction with her now she's probably building her own tower and her friend will be building their own tower but you know it won't be long before they'll start working on something that's sort of together and that's because the communication skills are coming up and and that kind of social awareness so the skills that are developing and that's really important Mm. Bill my eldest will be really excited about that because he's trying to get her to be the perfect playmate at the moment like come on let's do (laughs) it this way she's just like I'm just gonna ruin your fun and and, but it's just the way it is like siblings as well but he'll be really excited about that because I think with the eldest you can see them getting impatient thinking will you just talk or move and then now she can do those things but she doesn't she doesn't do as at all which is a good lesson for him to learn as well and she'll look up to him as well so when he says you be the you know the boring job or you do the boring <laughs> task or whatever she'll just do it because he you know until she wises up but then he will develop the leadership skills and all of that sort of stuff and she will develop that kind of aspiration or she'll look up to him and yeah i mean they'll fight but <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that started <laughs> that, at the moment that always takes theory. on the heroic role heroic roles so he's always you know the one that's the hero and he always gives buddy the baddie mm. always <laughs> like it's fine but it's not going <laughs> subliminal, subliminally but i don't think he understands quite like, well, you know, he just gets given an extra prop. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, that's You given, hold this. <laughs> yeah, you are this person. Is that okay? But I find it interesting thinking about how the differences, differences between how Buzz plays and how Buddy plays. And I do think that sibling thing has a massive part to play in that because Buzz has, you know, he's had us to play with and then he's had time on his own. And I think that thing when you first bring your baby home and it's, you know, well, it's a newborn, I can't do anything with that. You know, for Buzz, it was like, well, this is disappointing. I thought you'd yeah. give me a playmate. He's asleep. Um, and then I think for Buddy, watching his brother play is really, you know, really focused how he plays actually and uh, and he can go from wanting to climb everything and being absolutely manic to playing with his little figures and and doing you know acting out little scenes because he's seen buzz do it mm. and i'm I, I you know it's it's hard it, it's hard to think what part of that is just because that's because buddy's a completely different child and how much of that has been you know brought about because he's seen his older sibling playing that way i, I remember um my son is um, just over two years younger than my daughter, mm. and um, she was a very um, robust character, perhaps I might say, when I was at the <laughs> toddler. She, she would clear the playhouse at toddler group. It was awful. I could never drink a cup of tea because I'd have to make sure she wasn't biting people. She was quite hard work. <laughs> my son is a much calmer, gentler character, and I can remember when he was maybe one, um, I was sitting on the floor in the bedroom playing... Um, um, row your boat with with his sister, and he came up and and I um, know oh with with him sorry and she tried to to muscle in and I said no it's his turn you have to wait, and at the end of the song he spontaneously got up and moved out of the way, oh. and so that she could sit down, oh. and I can remember thinking well Rachel would never have done that, <laughs> but also just going oh my gosh you know he's he's learning yeah. not just sort of the the kind of the play things that you're talking about but actually. Turn taking is coming. We, we, you know, we weren't talking about turn taking. You know, he was much too young. We mm. thought, but actually, he was already taking in those concepts because he had somebody to take turns with, and mm. so that's, you know, it's very tempting to think of, 
younger children of having this less rich environment, play environment, because they don't get as much adult attention. But he, in many ways, had this much richer play environment yeah. because, like you say, he was, he was learning so much from what she was doing and stuff that I, I wouldn't have expected that. You know, that was a real surprise to me. And actually, he, he shared and, and um, took turns spontaneously at a really very young age. Yeah, I think parents, you, you sort of, the firstborn is, is sort of doted on and, and has is, is quite intense and by the second, third, fourth, whatever, the parents maybe feel that they aren't getting the um the attention that the first one got. But what they real what they forget is that that child has more people to give it mm. attention. So whereas before it was just the parents, then it's got siblings and so you've got the child isn't suffering, it's just getting the attention from different places. So I think it's um and a constant cabaret of yeah, yeah, stuff going yeah. on. <laughs> I always think it's really interesting when people say, I don't understand how they're so different when they're brought into the same environment. But they weren't. There's another sibling there. That, they were not born into the same environment. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. But it's an interesting shift that we've seen. And I mean, one of the one of the, the reasons that the campaign that Let Toys Be Toys launched is because of this feeling that the, the way that toys were being marketed by gender had really gone a very long way. And actually, you know, I grew up in the 70s and I, I have three sisters. There were no boys in our house, but we had trains mm-hmm. and cars and things that you might categorise as boys' toys and certainly would have been under the boys' stuff shelf in in the toy shops that we were looking at when we launched our campaign. So, so actually, you know, how come we ended up in a situation where, you know, in the 1990s and 2000s, you've got more dads than ever doing hands-on dadding and more women moving into traditional male careers, but we've actually got an increase in this kind of gendered marketing of people, you know, nudging children into into particular into particular boxes because, you know, as you say, play is play. All of this stuff, you know, it all generates the the play with toys and with nurturing with dolls and with nurturing toys is such a great opportunity mm. to imitate the people around you and to, to practice those nurturing and caring skills, which are important for any human being, not just the female half of the population. Yeah. So true. Are there things that parents can do to take away that stigma with, you know, stereotyping certain toys for like saying you can't play with that because that's a girl's toy or... I think you just let the kids lead, let yeah. them choose and, and giving them a giving them a cross section of toys, a nice sort of balance of, you know, indoor, outdoor toys, you know, quiet toys, noisy toys, creative toys or, you know, a real sort of selection 
and then and then letting them go for it. Don't have anything that's off limits because nine times out of ten, if you ban something for kids, it just becomes so much more attractive. So you know. <laughs> so how do we go about choosing appropriate toys for our children? Like, do we go age, Charlotte? When you're when you're shopping for your kids, do you look at the age thing? Like, what do you do to kind of go? Oh, well. Daisy just turned two on Saturday and, well, I've just had a baby, so we're a bit late in the day and, like, getting toys. It was quite bad, really. But I'll put my hands up in the air. Sometimes I do do a quick Google, like, best toys for two-year-olds in 2018 and see if there's anything that's come up. I've been guilty in the past, because I had a boy first, of Googling, you know, girls' toys and then thinking what am I doing? What is this? So now if I buy presents for like friends, I'm like, what does such and such like? Tell me what they like, because I don't want to put them in a box and make a mistake and give them something that's wasted. But a lot of the time, I just follow what Daisy likes, what Bill likes. Stanley doesn't like anything at the moment. But I just, I try and think, well, what are they really into and go from there? So for Easter, for example, there's a thing now, isn't there, about these Easter baskets and like treating your kids. I just got eggs when I was little, but I feel like I have to do that now. So they had like a few little crafts and stuff. And I thought I'd get them a gift because I don't want to give them too much chocolate. And then I ended up buying them two like dinosaur toys that you stick on your finger and they go like, and I posted about it on Instagram, I think it was, and someone commented like, go you for getting Daisy a dinosaur too. And I thought it didn't even occur to me <laughs> to, to think that I shouldn't, but it just it's one of those things isn't it I just follow their cues and there are toys that I get a little bit excited about them playing with so you know when Daisy got a Barbie I was excited I like them but I don't force them on her I'm still waiting for Sylvanian families to kick in and all of that (laughs) jazz I loved them but a lot of the time you know I try not to put them in a box and if I ever have done it I try and sort of check myself before I wreck myself (laughs) that's so funny though when you're talking about retro toys and the toys that you loved Mm. I actually when I'm buying for other people's children either either I ask Buzz what does so-and-so like or I think what did I like whether that's a book or whether that's a game or whatever it is and then I get really excited about that child getting it because I'm like I had so much fun with this you are too yeah it's like the perfect present I've got this (laughs) yeah so when you go about buying things Amanda what do you look for well um what would you recommend us look for Okay, so I would always recommend you go to the Good Toy Guy because that's got the the kind of the filters you can search for age or um, interests or subjects. I've or never heard of this. No, I haven't. Never heard of this. Fill well, it's in. a good job I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> How would you go about picking 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 toys, toys for yeah. my kids? Sorry. Um, so I again take my lead from them. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I always like trying before I buy. So if it's something that I've seen at a friend's house that they've particularly enjoyed and they may not they may not have registered it and they may not be asking for it, but I might have seen how they played with their friends yeah. or something. I, t- I tended to, to log that. Um, I love that. Go, go over there in that corner. Yeah, go and try little, that. Go, try it. <laughs> Tell me if you like it. <laughs> Press a few buttons yeah. get back to see, me. See what it does. Come, come, come give me your feedback. <laughs> um, especially if they were older kids as well because you'd sort of go, OK, if they're playing with sort of friends who are a year or two ahead, they would always have that next stage. So that was always really helpful. Um, and then I'm like, you know, I, I saved a lot of my old toys from... Mm-hmm. Or my mum saved a lot of my toys from when I was a kid. So um, 
they came back out the last. I've got to say, my sister bought me uh, for Christmas one year. It was a retro Fisher Price thing, actually. Oh. <laughs> um, it was um, so we used to make up radio shows as siblings. Um, I mean, I was uh, you know the main. It was called Hangar Seventeen. I was the main host of it. Georgie used to do gymnastic routines, which you'd think wouldn't work on the radio, but it really did. <laughs> and Mario would do the weather. But it was this brown Fisher Price recorder, and it went everywhere with us. And we've got tapes of us sort of you know talking to each other on it. And my sister. Got one for me a couple of years ago and I've never cried so much at a Christmas oh. present but it's so true that those, those, those presents those toys they really stick with you they really stay with you and it's a, your childhood is sort of cemented in them in a way mm. oh, that's so lovely I know I said it's it's heartbreaking though when you have your treasured toy and you get it down from the loft and the kids going yeah <laughs> 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 yeah, can you imagine all those school friends? I'm really excited for them to get their presents and they're like, whatever. Yeah, no, in this day and age as well, you're like, look at it, isn't it great? And then they're like, what does it do? Does it make noises or do you, does it move? And you're like, no, you just, you do this and then they're just not interested, are they? I think we're, we're all fashion now. Well, yeah. well, I guess we're also, I'll bring you in here, Jess. We also are at the moment going with this whole technology thing. There's this whole other argument that's going on about technology versus traditional play, whether that's role play or whatever. I would like to think there's a place for everything. Absolutely. Because I don't want one of my boys to go to school and suddenly, you know, everyone else knows how to work a tablet and he's behind because he has no idea what's going on. But at the same time, I know how much my boys love role play and love, like, running around the house and literally they're constantly running. <laughs> and it's The only time I can pin them down <laughs> to even go on a tablet is if we're flying. <laughs> That's the only time they would do it. Um, but is there is there a um, a worry when it comes to technology and and traditional play um i don't know i mean speaking personally um we didn't use you know my my kids didn't have access to tablets and things yeah. when they were smaller they do now and we have it's interesting actually because they're old enough now that we've had you know a, a family conversation about agreeing what the ground rules should be around screen time and they've they contributed to deciding what those so it's not that we've gone right you get 30 minutes a day and this is how it works we said what what seems fair to you and so what, what we came to was that they were allowed up to 30 minutes a day on the tablet or the computer, not counting homework, but they were allowed unlimited TV time because they hardly ever watched the television, provided they always let everybody else know what they were watching so anyone else could join in. Because it, I, one thing I find really interesting is, of course, as, as a family, I can remember as a child having, you know, six of us around the telly watching things together, and we never do that. You know, it's, it's because people's... TV watching habits are very different now and actually once we brought in that rule and they'd come and say oh you know we're going to watch an episode of Junior Bake Off or whatever and actually we'd all pile in and watch it even though it was on iPlayer and it was you know at, at a particular time and that was really interesting because that was their rule and they still don't watch much television it's maybe twice a week or something but that kind of no more than half an hour a day was their proposal and they were quite happy with because my concern always was particularly when they were smaller is that not that I was terribly concerned about what you know it, it's it's not too difficult to to target their screen time onto particular things that you might think are edu educational it's what it's displacing you know it's the how much is it in eating into stuff that actually gets a child to interact and is spontaneously coming from them because it's you know it's essentially a fairly passive experience really you know you're following somebody else's narrative even in a game really so it's not creative in the same way that you know emotionally processing your day through small world play or whatever it is and so it was something we took the decision we 
because I feel like you know I've learned how to how to to learn an iPad pretty swiftly, and they didn't exist when I was a kid, so I'm not worried about them keeping up yeah. really. I think oh. it depends on what they're doing on the on the screens and technology. I think has gone from being the add-on to being a bit gimmicky to actually some people have got, some of the companies have got some really clever uses of tech. Mm. Um, and in terms of the balanced play diet, what you want, the sort of the superfoods, are the active, social, um, imaginative, free, child-led play. Um, and if you can get that with technology, great. And what you want to really limit is the sedentary, solitary, um, passive play, which mm -hmm. is the staring at a screen and just kind of receiving it. But technology... It's not as it shouldn't be demonized in the way that it sort of was because actually there's quite a lot of, of good tech now that's employed in toys um, and, and on screens, you know, through the apps and everything that actually does encourage social, imaginative, um, active play. So you're actually, as long as the kids are getting the play type, I don't think it matters whether that comes from tech, traditional toys or tech toys. Mm -hmm. It's about what, what it facilitates. So we shouldn't be so scared of it. No, but I think making sure you understand what play patterns it's kind of mm -hmm. facilitating is is the key. I think the whole thing around screen screen time is fascinating. But I think if I think back to my childhood is I only think about the play, but then I know that we sat down as a family and watched three soaps back to back. You know, I would try and read. <laughs> I don't think that affected my upbringing at all or my creativity or my imagination. I'm an author. You know, I clearly have that side of me. Um, so I guess it's just how technology is progressing and keeping an eye on it. I mean, it's, it's sort of, you can't deny that times have changed, like tablets yeah. didn't exist when I was little, um, and I don't really even get to go on mine now because if, you know, if it's available, and we do monitor how, how much our kids use them, but we we do things as well that are like screen time where we always have like family movie, like afternoon on a Sunday, mm -hmm. and we watch like the old classics I used to love as a kid, and we have popcorn and doing that together and like singing along to songs and like seeing the kids enjoy it with us is amazing. Yeah. And then one thing that I remember really clearly with Daisy, she was born with a class palette and um, we used to watch nursery rhymes sometimes on like YouTube and things like that and she would learn them and speech can sometimes be a bit delayed if you've got a class palette and she had a few favourites and then when she had her cleft repair she was in hospital for about a week it didn't go fantastically well and the first time she properly smiled was when we sang one of the songs that she knew from you know watching YouTube and it was an amazing thing just to think that we were like comforting her and like we you know when you're hooked up to machines sometimes that's a real gift to still have that like action of play almost and mm. that interaction and escapism um so that really taught me a lot of lessons with her that it's not it's not the devil but it's hard to admit I think as a parent particularly with social media that sometimes you do need to rely on people call them the square nanny don't they <laughs> like you know just just for a, a safety perspective um so it's quite hard to say like actually sometimes my kids will use this um I think my kids are quite balanced happy little individuals but it's it's hard to sort of put it out there it feels like it's a bit naughty well like I said I'm sure my mum and dad thought nothing of letting us watch those soaps, which yeah. probably weren't even age appropriate, to be honest, mm. even though they were on before Watershed. It did us no damage. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and But I think now we're so much more aware of that guilt and we're so much more aware of the pressure and what we should be doing with our children and, you know, everything is kind of laid out for us. Um, but it's having things that you don't feel like you have to hide what you're doing. It's being able to be open. And, and that way, I think then you're more 
able to listen to other things like, oh, okay, well, I'm doing this now. And then later on, we'll go for a walk outside or, you know, we'll play with our little people and we'll do whatever. Yeah. Otherwise, I think we're all just behind closed doors going, I can't admit what I'm doing to anyone. At the end of every podcast, I can't believe we are we are here at this point. <laughs> I have to say, I had no idea how this episode was going to go. I've loved it. I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, uh, at the end of every podcast, at the end of every episode, I give out, I say three sentences, the start of, and you guys finish them. I've changed them for today. I've changed them. <gasps> so, uh, and I'm going to give you uh, each one. So, Amanda, could you please finish this sentence for me? Play is important because... It's how children learn. <laughs> nice and succinct. I like it. <laughs> Charlotte, I encourage my children to play by letting them be kids. Lovely. And Jess, I help fight play stereotypes by by campaigning with let toys be toys. And um, it's you know it's a great way. Hopefully, to what we've hoped we've done is dial up the conversation on this issue and make it something that people are thinking about and talking about. And I think it's one of those things that unless you actually hear someone talking about it, you don't really think about how you address different toys and things. So I think, you know, I think I'm very conscious of not saying well, don't cry because, you know, girls cry you know, and things like that. So when it comes to our toys and our books, it should be exactly the same thing. I'm all for letting my boys play with pink prams and anything pink <laughs> because that doesn't belong to girls. Right. So that is it. We are now at the end of the episode. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jess. Thanks. And thank you, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Fisher-Price. Fisher-Price recognises that every child is born with unique gifts and a distinct personality. Our role as parents is to embrace and celebrate who they truly are.